WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, how is it that a foreign adversary can see your voting history? We talked to Michigan vote guru Mark Grebner about that. But first, in our, it's our weekly chat with MSU political scientist Matt Grossman about the 2020 presidential campaign. Matt, uh, what do you think of the great debate? Well, it was certainly an improvement over the first debate uh, where uh, voters could barely hear Joe Biden talking. Uh, and uh, I think there will be uh, there will be p- points that that each side will will point to as a, as a success. Um, the instant polls after the debates uh, basically showed very little change from the horse race. People who were mostly supporting Joe Biden thought Joe Biden won. People who were supporting Donald Trump I uh, thought he won, and that's really not good enough uh, for Donald Trump um, as he's behind going into the final stretch uh, of the campaign. And uh, behind with, uh, by some estimates, uh, 50 million votes already having been cast. That's right. Although uh, note that people who are most enthusiastic to vote are, are least likely to be swing voters uh, or, or undecided voters. Um, and so uh, it's not that that won't matter at all, um, but that, um, you know, that that is mostly people who had already made up uh, their mind long ago. Um, the it is a sign, however, of astronomical turnout. Um, the uh, both a polling model uh, that uh, was released by 538 and a uh, new uh, voter registration database-based model by my colleague uh, Corey, Corey Smith are both expecting a very high turnout, record turnout in Michigan and nationally, uh, and uh, certainly the early voting is a sign of that. And who does early voting favor and why? Well, there's a a very large partisan divide in early voting right now. Um, Polls uh, show that uh, Biden is winning by 50 points or so among early voters because of the um, uh, efforts by the president uh, to uh, undermine uh, vote by mail um, are having an effect on Republican voters. Uh, So that means he is very dependent on people actually showing up on election day. Um, But again, a divide in voting preference is not necessarily an advantage uh, for the party doing the early voting. Uh, there's a trade-off between the higher rate of uh, ballots that uh, do not get counted because of some error that takes place in getting the ballot uh, to the to the uh, uh, registrars um, uh, weighed against uh, the increase in voting made possible by early voting. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, are there are we talking about millions uh, nationally that won't get counted? There has been in some states up to 1% of ballots um, that uh, don't uh, get counted, uh, either because uh, the signature is wrong, the envelope is wrong, it doesn't arrive by election day or by the deadline in that state. And so it's not that it's a high level, it's just that in a very close election, um, if we expect there to be some increase in turnout associated with early voting, it may not be any bigger than the effect of losing some of those ballots. And that's what we saw, for example, in the Texas primary. Um, It looked like whatever turnout benefit there was from early voting uh, may have been discounted by votes uh, not making it in on time. Uh, As you look at the map, uh, do you 
foresee a, a close election, a, a landslide, something more in between. Uh, if the election were held to, tomorrow, then the polls suggest that the the, the vote would be uh, overwhelming for um, uh, Joe Biden on the order of uh, Barack Obama's victory in 2008 or higher. Um, uh, that, of course, still means there will be a lot of close elections uh, in some states uh, for, for the presidency uh, in many close Senate races. Uh, and so, yeah, there'll still be close elections, uh, but the presidential race right now uh, does not look very close. Getting back to the debate, uh, what do you think were Trump's and Biden's best and worst moments? Well, uh, according to the instant polls, uh, they went along with the regular party reputations. So uh, voters favored uh, Trump on the economy. Uh, they were about even on foreign policy. Uh, they favored Biden by a large margin on uh, COVID and health care. Um, I think what you'll see is a little bit of a different take on um, how they performed on uh, crime and on uh, the environment. On crime, uh, that's traditionally a Republican-owned issue, but it was talked about mostly in uh, connection with race in uh, the debate last night, and that favors Democrats. On the environment, uh, it was uh, talked about mostly in terms of climate change, which favors Democrats and voters favor Biden on climate change. On the other hand, uh, Biden did say that he was moving toward uh, wanting to uh, transition out away from the oil industry, and Republicans are going to try to make hay of that uh, in Texas and other places. But that uh, could help Biden with uh, others in his own constituency, I would imagine, on uh, farther left. Uh, it's it's true, um, not just on the further left, but young people are very concerned about um, uh, climate change, even if they don't self-identify as uh, liberals. Um, and Trump also said uh, some things that will be unpopular. He said that he didn't favor wind uh, energy, that he didn't favor solar energy. All those things are very popular. Um, but Republicans have had uh, success in the past at using and concentrating on um, uh, lines like we saw Biden make last night uh, about transitioning away from the oil industry. So um, I wouldn't discount that entirely, um, but uh, certainly uh, it's a it's a divisive issue and one that on the whole people are in favor of alternative energy and on the side of Democrats. But uh, judging from your saying, you don't uh, it doesn't look like the needle got moved. Uh, is it uh, just too late in the game for that debate? Well, it's too late uh, for it to change the trajectory of the race dramatically if you had the kind of reaction that you saw last night, which is that basically both sides thought that they won, but there was no clear uh, victor. So we shouldn't expect uh, a huge effect on the horse race. Um, the the, may, the remaining chance that Trump wins is basically that there are systematic polling errors, uh, that we're not reaching some people, um, not that there's huge changes um, uh, to, to do with the debate. Uh, any uh, thoughts about uh, Trump's effort to somewhat desperately introduce this Hunter Biden uh, controversy based on a New York Post story that we should point out? Uh, uh, no one uh, other than the New York Post seems to believe in, and, and uh, as a couple of their reporters refuse to put their bylines on it. But do you think uh, do you think the public's going to pay any attention to this? 
Well, they're certainly trying to run basically the same campaign as last time, bringing up emails, uh, trying to undermine uh, the, the Democratic uh, candidate as, um, as being corrupt. Um, it's not clear at all that it's going to work this time. The story has not uh, gotten out of conservative media. Mainstream reporters, as you say, are not treating it uh, seriously. Um, it's overall the right strategy to focus on Biden. Uh, that is, Biden um, has remained pretty popular, and uh, Trump really needs to undermine him in the next uh, week uh, to make progress. It's just not clear that this is going to do it, especially last night. Uh, Trump, although he did bring it up, he didn't bring it up in a way that will appeal to anyone who hasn't been watching Fox News a lot in the last uh, few weeks. Um, and uh, Biden was able to, to move the debate. Uh, uh, President Trump took the took his bait, which was to uh, talk about his own tax returns and his own bank account in China. Um, and so I think that debate will not come off as uh, particularly influential for voters who are not already steeped in conservative media. What would we want? What should we be watching for any particular state uh, or Senate race we should be watching for that is kind of a bellwether of whether the, uh, the Trump-Biden race uh, might move more toward Trump? Well, Pennsylvania is still uh, the tipping point state, according to most uh, models. The others that are possibly tipping point states are Florida and Arizona. So those would be the states that are Wisconsin. Those would be the, the three or four other states that I would be looking at. That doesn't mean that those will be the closest states. If you look at the closest states right now, they're places like Georgia, North Carolina. Um, but uh, if if Trump is, if Biden is winning in those states or, or even in those states, he should be winning uh, in other states enough to, to win. In terms of Senate races, we're still looking at North Carolina as the most likely uh, tipping point uh, state, but we have uh, all sorts of other uh, possibilities from uh, Georgia to Montana um, and so uh, it's, or to Iowa. So it's not clear that it will come down to those races. And that is where we did see uh, some polling error in 2018. 18. Remember that Republicans came back to win Indiana and Missouri at the end, Republican leading states uh, that the polls were suggesting might be leaning toward uh, Democrats. Um, and so uh, I don't know that um, we can completely count on knowing the order of the states in terms of their Senate margins. Matt Grossman, thank you very much once again for being on City Pulse, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. You're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Last week, U.S. officials told us that Iran was using American voter registration information to send anti-Trump emails to voters uh, to try to influence them in the November 3rd election. How is that possible? The answer, which may surprise many people, is their voter information is freely and legally available. Find out more about this, we turn to Ingham County Commissioner Mark Grebner, who is the founder of the Lansing firm Practical Political Consultants, is the go-to guy for many politicians when they want to buy voting lists. Mark Grebner, you're an expert on voter registration records. Uh, what was your reaction to the news that uh, foreign adversaries apparently are using them to send uh, uh, nasty emails to voters in the United States. I've been in this business about 45 years, and I have thought a lot about kind of how we got where we are, and that's how I understand this issue. Voting is a public phenomenon. 
And it's sort of, in my mind, as if they used, uh, let's say, a highway to do it. You know, Iran could probably get somebody into the United States and they could drive on a road and nobody would be appalled by it. We have certain things that are public and certain things that aren't. And it's always been curious to me how those, what, where the division between what's public and what isn't public, how it was drawn. But as it has unfolded in the United States, the fact that you vote and that you're on the voter list, you're eligible to vote is very public. And it's a crucial part of how the system works and how it protects itself from fraud and manipulation. If you think about a slightly different case, your property uh, information is available in excruciating detail. The exact day you paid your property taxes and how much they were and the exact boundaries of your property, but your income tax is not available. And I can't imagine what the reason is, but no one has any right to know at all that you paid any income tax or, or that you didn't or how much it was or what your job was but your, any property you own is available in excruciating detail. Well, similarly, voting behavior is available in excruciating detail, minus who you voted for. And who you voted for was public until about 1870, just about 150 years ago now, when it was available because you did it in public. It was a, it was a conscious decision of the society to make that a secret, to take it off the table for, for you know, public use that, that created the system more or less as we have it today. Of course, we didn't have computers then, but we had pencil and paper records, which were utterly public. So the fact that Iran and Russia and whoever else has access to this information is, as I said, about as exciting as the fact that they have a right to drive on roads. The, the question is what they did with it. it. It's illegal to do certain things, just like it's illegal to drive over a certain speed or for certain people to be on the roads, right? So the system as it's set up isn't intended to protect that information from people. Now, some information in Michigan has become non-public in the last 10 or 15 years. For some reason, the day and month of birth are no longer public information. Your email is not public and the phone number you provide to election authorities is not public. It was until about 20 years ago, but, but amendments to the law changed that. Also, your driver's license information is no longer, essentially, it's not public. That's a complicated topic. But until about 1990, or ni about the year 2000, the fact that your driver's license was at a particular address and you had a particular uh, uh, license number was perfectly public information. I bought it all the time. So today, the fact that you apply for an absentee ballot, I'll be notified of it within 24 hours. The fact that you voted in the presidential primary as a Republican using an absentee ballot is like a commonplace fact. And if Iran wants to know a list of people who are formerly Republicans who voted Democratic in March, I'd be happy to send them a list. They should just get a hold of me. It's about five cents a name. Mark, why is it good for democracy for any of this information to be public? You'd have to re-engineer the system from top to bottom to remove it. it it's, it's sort of like, why is a gallbladder a good thing to have? Well, maybe it isn't, but you have to actually, you can't just like 
announce that you're taking it out. You better have a plan for it. The system is set up now that we know if a person voted and that helps us to know if they voted twice or if a person voted who doesn't exist. If the voter list itself is a secret, who votes and who doesn't vote, then it's hard to know how we would know, except like uh, legal authorities, how anybody else would, would even be aware that a person, say named Burl Schwartz, living at a particular address, cast a ballot. Today, if Burl Schwartz casts a ballot, and I know you're not a US citizen, I just know that as a personal thing, or I know that you've moved away, or I know that you've died, or I know that you were also a registered voter at a different address and you voted there, I as an individual would take uh, steps to deal with it. So, and that's the real reason that voter fraud is, is almost unknown in the United States, because anything that anybody does that involves more than about 10 votes comes to the attention of people like me. So I don't mean that you couldn't create a different system, but it would be a different system and you'd have to really work out the details. This one has been worked out by history. In other words, it's been assembled one piece at a time and when something didn't work, it's been repealed and replaced and improved or changed. And we finally end up with a system which is clunky, inefficient, uh, kind of perverse in places, but does get the job done. Uh, what is and is not available in Michigan as far as voter registration information? What's available is name, address, uh, two addresses really, the address which you assert you are residing at and an address which you are using for mail, which for 99% of all people is the same. Uh, your year of birth, but not day and month, roughly the date you most recently registered or changed address, and then individual information about which elections you voted in, uh, whether in person or by absentee ballot. This latter is so badly kept that you, uh, it deserves a footnote to say it's available, but it's not accurate. A lot of this is, is available, but not accurate actually. Oh, is that right? Uh, how, how inaccurate is it? Are, are there dead people uh, who sure. are? Sure. The, the system is, a, is, a, is created by history again. And so, you know, I guess that the idea is when you're dying, you should contact the, uh, the county clerk's office and let them know. And there are, there are systems in place that attempt to remove people who've died but if you happen to die in unusual circumstances, even slightly unusual circumstances, there's no method of tracking it down except that after five or 10 or 20 years and you haven't voted, the processes eventually sweep you off the rolls. I would say of, of the, of the 7.5 or 7.6 million people currently on the Michigan voter registration rolls, I only believe in about 6.6 .6 million of them. About 1.2 million of them are people who are clearly not here are clearly dead or have clearly moved or are clearly registered to vote two or more times. And none of those are, are uh, indicators of fraud. They're all just indicators that the system wasn't engineered to create an accurate list. It was created as a, as a historic accretion, one step at a time, adding one mechanism on top of another mechanism to control voting. But, uh, 
how are voter registration, uh, how is voter registration information used? How, how do you use it? Well, let's talk about how I use it because how it's used generally is so, it's a very big topic. So a copy of the statewide voter file is available for about $30 to anybody who wants it. You can get it from the Secretary of State. It's cut, a new version of it is, is cut every month on roughly the first of the month. So I have, I'm working from this, the September 1 issue. I didn't bother getting an October 1 issue. It's just too close to an election and too much madness. So maybe four or five or three times a year, I get a new copy from the Secretary of State of, of the list they regard as the current qualified voter file. And let's say it has 7.6 million records in horrendous, complex, messy format, not well thought out. Uh, so I obtain that. And then I go to work, uh, actually not I, but other people in the firm, manipulating it and massaging it and correcting it and removing records from it. And I mean, if we know that somebody died 20 years ago and they're still on the rolls, my firm has the firm belief that once somebody is dead, they're still dead, even if they're on the new voter roll, right? Even if the voter roll says they've recently re-registered, I don't believe it because they were dead 20 years ago. I believe they're still dead, okay? If somebody is a duplicate, I collapse all the occurrences of their name into a single record, that sort of thing. So, so I remove those 1.2 million flaky records. I update some other information that's just wrong. Uh, zip codes that have changed, for example, new, newly created zip codes. I correct other errors. The Secretary of State is gradually getting better. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that the work I do is less and less valuable because the work I did 20 years ago was very valuable because the file was so horrible, you couldn't work with it at all. Today, the file is only mediocre. It's not terrible anymore. So, so I, I, I get that. And I also correct and update the voter history, meaning which elections people have voted in, the new information that's available from the Secretary of State. So I build a standard file of name address, voter history, date of birth, and then I add to that all the information I have from previous uh, incarnations of the same file. I bring it over to this new file. And so I know things, again, almost all of it from public records. For example, I know who is a convicted felon because uh, the offender tracking information system is public. And so it's possible to include that. I have information about who's a member of the bar. I have information uh, about who is a, uh, receiving a state government pension or who is a state government employee, or who's a licensed teacher, or who signed the most recent right to life uh, statewide petition. So I carry over a whole collection of data, which is sort of like a, an attic full of random furniture and bits of luggage that I probably should throw away. But I carry that over to the new file, and then I perform a bunch of calculations on that information to predict for each person how likely they are to vote in the next election, how likely they are to use an absentee ballot, how likely they are to move away before the election and so they're no longer actually a useful voter, and how likely they are to vote Democratic or Republican in an evenly contested race. So, and what do you do with the information once you've refined it? Well, I don't... I sometimes look up old girlfriends to see how they're doing and who they're married to. Whom do you sell the information to is what I'm asking. Uh, the answer is almost anybody. 
and and I th I suppose if Iran came and they sent the Persian ambassador, I'd, I'd probably be at least nervous about dealing with him. I'd have to look up the law. But if he did it through a, a political consultant, I'd almost certainly sell to them. Um, so we sell to, I mean, we're, we're a Democratic firm, but we have plenty of Republican clients. We sell a lot of uh, data to nonpartisan or non-political operations too, who people who are putting up windmill farms or people opposing windmill farms because there are elections associated with it. So we typically sell uh, the use of records for let's say three or four cents a record in small quantities. So a million records is 30 or $40,000. And almost nobody ever buys a million records at a time, but they buy 100,000 here and they buy 20,000 there. And, and so we sell, it, we sell files for the purpose of doing mailings. Uh, in the old days, before uh, the pandemic, the people knocked on doors. We sell information that people can take and match email addresses to. Uh, we don't we don't happen to sell email uh, information ourselves. It's not available from the state, but we've discovered over the years that email is almost useless as a uh, means of communication with voters. So we don't do it. Uh, but there, it's not because of principle. It's only because it's actually useless. I want to switch gears briefly. We're almost out of time, but a week ago, uh, you, uh, Kyle Malin wrote that you have, you say it's in the bag in Michigan for Joe Biden. Any, yeah. any new thoughts on that uh, since then? The polling is all so weird that I just feel unsettled about what's exactly going to happen. But it's really clear that Biden has cut into Trump's margins in all these little out of the, out of the way rural towns and counties, so that Trump is not going to carry those by very much. I mean, he'll he'll carry you know Alcona County by a thousand votes, not three thousand, the way Trump beat uh, Hillary. And then it's clear that he's by, piling up very large margins in suburbia, and especially in college towns. I mean, margins like seventy-five, twenty-five, and eighty, twenty—really astounding levels of support in a lot of places. So you put it all together and, you know, if you're carrying a few places, a bunch of rural towns and cities by a thousand votes apiece, and you're losing Oakland County by a hundred thousand or 200,000, it's not hard to do the arithmetic. It just, you know, I mean, people are all worried about Detroit. When this is over, if you don't count Wayne County at all, you just leave out all of Wayne County, Biden will still win. On that note, Mark, Grebner, thank you very much for being on City Pulse. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks to Skylar Ashley for producing it. We'll be back next week with a new program. On behalf of City Pulse, I'm Burl Schwartz. Thanks for listening.